Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and today my guest is Jen Pasteloff, the facilitator of the popular On Being Human Workshops, founder of the online magazine The Manifestation, and author of On Being Human, a memoir of waking up, living real, and listening hard. Jen leads retreats all over the world, in Italy and France, the U.S., as well as my personal favorite, Writing in the Body Workshops with author Lydia Yuknovich. She's been featured on Good Morning America, New York Magazine, Health Magazine, Shape, CBS News, and many more. I couldn't be more thrilled to welcome Jen to the show today, and I'm really excited for all of you to listen to the interview. Enjoy the show. So I first met you through Facebook. And I think it was when you pitched the idea for the On Being Human workshop and you did a little sampling online with, I think there was a group of like 25 or 50 of us total. And it was, Charlie was like a baby at the time. And I think you were just starting to put together your book proposal. And it was so nice to see just how you were just amazing at listening and you were very much about the no bullshit lifestyle. And I think that's what really makes on being human so great because people can really feel like they're safe to share in your presence and they feel heard in this really big way. And, um, I just remember like telling you things about somebody that had been really toxic and treated me really poorly. And you actually started to cry and you listened really, really in a way I've never had anyone listen before. And I remember being like, wow, she actually cares like she's you're not just saying it you actually meant it like and everybody in the group could feel it it was really nice so how did this sort of concept of on being human come into being well that that actually was an online course yeah and charlie was maybe like four months old or around there five months old but actually that wasn't the beginning of the workshop i've been doing i've been doing the workshops for a long time that was the first Mm -hmm. um that was the first online one i did and that was because I was like, oh, shit, I have a baby and it's really hard to travel. I need to figure out how to make some money. I wonder if I could do the same thing I do in person online. And it, I did. And it was just amazing. But um, the workshop came to fruition because, um, if, you know, when I first started doing this work, it was just yoga. I just um, was teaching yoga. And then I, which I never really wanted to do it was sort of by default to escape waiting tables and because yoga itself was really helping me with my own depression so i started doing these workshops that were yoga or these retreats rather and then um as i started getting more confidence as i started uh as when i went on antidepressants after i started writing again 
I started um, getting more creative and more outside the box, what I call the just a box, so that it was no longer just a yoga thing. And it was um, really this wacky experience that combined anything that I thought I was good at, which isn't very many things. <laughs> it's like listening and making people feel safe and being a dork and having people move their body. And and then it just kept getting um, more expansive as the years went on. And, you know, when you met me or when you did the online one, so that was fall 2016. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was, I was just working on the proposal and, or maybe, man, everything just melds together now, but maybe I was just working on the proposal because I think I sold it in fall of 2017. But, um, it, it feels like in some ways it feels like, oh, it just happened overnight, but it really didn't. It was this organic, um, alchemization of my life, really. All the, you know, writing and, acting, studying acting and waiting tables and my hearing loss, you know, and putting all these things together and telling the truth really is the crux of it all. Yes. And I think, I mean, you explain, it's kind of interesting because in the book you go through the entire process, like how you went from waitressing and kind of wanting to be discovered as an actress to like, okay, I've changed my mind. I'm going to do this. And, and just how you built it over time, because I think what you brought up makes a really good point in that this doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of people tend to feel that way when they see the end product and they don't see the process. So do you, do you find like a lot of people have been like, where did you come from all of a sudden <laughs> and think it's like overnight you know, success? In the beginning, yeah. And, and in a way it was, you know, maybe like nine years ago. Now, not so much. And then now in some ways people think I've been, you know, around way longer than I have, I guess. And I guess that's always the way with everyone. And I don't, um, I'm not sure, but I, I mean, I think anytime all of it, uh, someone sees someone else is successful, it's a lot of times if we haven't heard about them, it feels like, where did you come from? Um, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible with sense of time. In some ways, it feels like I've been doing this stuff forever. In other ways, I feel like, you know, five minutes ago, I was still working at the restaurant and wanting to die. So I have no sense of time. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've built this really dedicated online following through Instagram and Facebook with your, your handles like No Bullshit Motherhood and G Power You Are Enough. How did you, sort of start to do that? Did you kind of have in mind when you began them what they were going to become? Or was it just like, oh, hey. Let's oh, no, it. not at all. Well, Facebook was my jam for a long time. And then mm -hmm. um, I just used Instagram as I thought it was a, um, you know, like an app for yeah. editing photographs. I didn't know it was a tool to like have people follow you or anything. So I was really late to the game with Instagram. But with Facebook, um, I've always my whole life been very good at connecting and keeping in contact with people. So Facebook was always really natural for me because I anyway was that person that, um, you know, always had pen pals and, and stayed in touch with all my friends that lived around the country. So, but when I started teaching yoga, I really used Facebook as a tool to escape the restaurant. So I would, I really started hustling when people came to my yoga classes, I would get their, email and look on Facebook and um I worked really hard at that. And I don't so much anymore. Now I just kind of use 
Instagram the most. And it's just like I post my musings and my thoughts and my feelings. But it's still very much, I'm still very much dependent on it for my business. You know, so like if I forget to post a workshop, it won't be that crowded because I still have to kind of, you know, talk about it. Most people find me through social media and word of mouth. That's Mm -hmm. it. So, but in the beginning, no, I was just using it as a way to connect, Mm -hmm. which I still am. Yeah. Because you still like, I think what I really like too is the collaborative effort because you let people do takeovers of both those accounts. Yeah. And so, you know, other moms can come in and for the week, you know, promote their work and like talk about what they're going through. And it, it builds this really sort of beautiful community. I feel for sure. I mean, I don't do that with my regular yeah. Jen Pasolov Instagram, but I do with no bullshit motherhood and G power. You are enough. And I, I wish I had more time and more manpower. So I could have someone help me kind of, um, you know, the logistics of like lending it to people because I, mm-hmm. I can't keep up, but it's my favorite thing to do because I have this platform. So I want to share it. So yeah, it's, it's the community mm-hmm. aspect. I mean, I really think of it like, I think of them like community pages. A lot of people are really sort of, I, I had this conversation today with a friend who's an artist and we were talking about how it feels like the previous generation was really about competition and this generation's more about collaboration. I hope. Like everybody kind of wants to help each other now. I hope. I really hope that's what's happening because it seems like more people are being open to, hey, let me help you. And, you know, if I help you, we can help each other and we can grow together rather than it being like dog eat dog kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I really have always been that way and that is the way I live my life. And when I, I was talking to my friend yesterday when I, um, when I get frustrated, you know, my, my best friend's an actress, when I get frustrated because like someone hasn't posted about her show, which I've posted endlessly about, or when I get frustrated because I think it'd be so simple if someone would just help me, then all that makes me do is go, how can I help someone else? Because I, I think I have mm-hmm. to be that whatever's missing in life, I or in a relationship or whatever it may be well how can I bring that what can I bring to the table so you know I've I've just always kind of been of that mindset and I I do believe that we find what we're looking for so I tend to attract and find people that help me a lot because that's how I live and what I'm looking for if that makes any sense you know I I Mm. hope that's true I mean that's what I believe in so I really I kind of have rose-colored glasses on and I um I seek those relationships out and those type of people that believe in that, that there is enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's more than enough for everyone. And I think it was the last time I was in Portland and um, for AWP and I met up with uh, Marissa Corbell and Marissa and I were talking and she's like, yeah, I totally believe like when you shine, I shine. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the whole purpose of, what we're trying to do like with the podcast and with Instagram and helping everybody learn the stuff that feels like it's been for years, like some kind of secret system, right? like people can't figure out how to get their book published or they, all they need is just to get some eyes on it or people to be able to do readings with them and, and that. So it's really nice. I kind of feel like the community out there is really amazing and people are so fortunate to get to live there because it just seems like writer's paradise. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I mean, a big, a big part of everything I do and my life and workshops and it talks about it in my book is how may I serve. And so that is one way is to say, you know, how can I help someone else? And having said that, of course, you, you can't possibly help everyone else. And that sometimes is tricky to navigate and it's hard. And it means sometimes we have to say no. And sometimes we get told no, which always sucks. I got told no this just now mm-hmm. by someone an email. I asked someone something and I felt really embarrassed and ashamed. And I took a breath and I thought this, this is life. This is what happens sometimes when you ask, you get a no, but you ask. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it is hard, especially when we have books coming out. It's so hard because we have to ask for blurbs and we have to ask for a lot of help. And it's hard when you're so used to being. This is this is the hardest part for sure. I had a, you know, I had to have a meeting last week. It's like, which influencers will post your book? And first of all, I can't stand that word. I've I made no, I'm not shy about it. I've like made fun of it. And influencer just makes me like <laughs> crabby, that word. And uh, I thought this, this just is the grossest part having to ask, you know, organically when someone reads my book or something of mine and they post it, it feels so good. But having to ask just feels like yucky, but um, mm-hmm. it's, it's what has to be done, I guess, you know, to sell stuff. And it's just, where we are in, in, (laughs) I mean, if I want books to be sold, I have to make an effort. Yeah. And you don't know unless you ask and you'll always be haunted if you're like, well, maybe if I had have asked, they might've said yes, but I'll never know. (laughs) Exactly. But you know, I, I get it. It's, it's hard to ask for things, especially, you know, making Mm -hmm. yourself so vulnerable like that. How did you end up connecting with your agent? I have a superhero agent who I love. Her name is Adrienne Ranta Zerhelen at Foundry Media. And believe it or not, she found me and online. And um, I feel incredibly lucky and grateful. And that so rarely happens. So, you know, uh yeah, mm-hmm. she found me and I, she sent me this beautiful email. This was years ago and I fell in love with her and I will never look back. But she found me. So, oh, that's so well, nice. yeah, and it's really typical of my personality. And, you know, I talk about it in the book, but I have a tendency to wait, wait, wait for someone to save me, to find me, to discover me. So unfortunately, well, fortunately for me, that happened with her. But if if it was up to my own devices where I would have had to like send out query letters or whatever it may be, I wouldn't have one because I'm, it's just this major flaw of mine that I'm working on. But I, I still, I mean, I still deal with this thing where I, um, I don't take action, you know, and I, and I wait around for, yeah. And, and like years pass, <laughs> like no one's coming to save you. But in this instance, and it's yeah. not like she saved me, but I just feel really she did in, in a lot of ways because she's magic. And so um, that was, you know, a real shot in the dark, lucky thing. But she found me. And how had you, had she just followed you from Instagram or had not on Instagram? On she saw, I, how was it that I put, you know, I, before I I 
wrote on being human. I put a book proposal together for, um, I was doing workshops and I had just started to do workshops for young women called Girl Power, You Are Enough. And um, I've since changed it to G Power because of so many um, non-binary and gender non-conforming folks. But um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's actually a good story because it, it was it's very humbling when I think about it and when I tell it. But I, so I was doing these, I had been doing these workshops for a while. And then I started to do these, these uh, workshop for young girls and people were like, you should make, you should do a book. It'll sell. It's totally saleable. And so I like put a post on Facebook, you know, and I, and one of my best friends is a big um, editor for young adult books. And I put a post on Facebook and I said, I'm working on this book called Girl Power. You are enough. Do you want to be part of it? I, my idea was it was going to kind of be like an anthology and all these writers, some of them famous mm. were like, yeah. And she saw that and she said, Oh my God, this book sounds great. I'm going to rep you and this is who I am and let's do this. And she spent so much time and she helped me make this proposal. It's beautiful. And we sent it out and I was just like waiting for the call to come in with how much money they were going to offer me and we couldn't sell it. It's like six months. <laughs> and I just so. First of all, I had no idea how publishing works. I was so delusional and it really made me take my head out of my ass. But so finally, you know, she said, um, let's, um, let's table this and work on something else. And, and I was depressed and I was, you know, all, but I'm really, really, really yeah. glad. And I, and I can say this now and I, I swear, I'm so glad that wasn't my first book. I don't, and I didn't even want it to be. It wasn't like mm-hmm. a passion. I just really was, and it's yeah. such a good lesson. It was really like, oh yeah, that's saleable. Now, like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, and it's, you know, it's just a reminder <laughs> of how tough it is out there. But there was all this competition with all these like celebrity people, Demi Lovato, whoever, these people that have like millions and millions of followers who are writing these kind of guides for young women or books on empowerment for, for younger girls. And I didn't, I can't. I couldn't compete with that. I didn't have um, anything to really offer, but it really wasn't. Now I'd love to do it after on being human was out, like a companion to that, perhaps. But um, yeah, but yeah, she found me because she saw my my call for that girl power book, and it resonated mm-hmm. with her. And that's kind of cool because it shows you, yeah, it shows you how if you put it out there. And, and enough people see it and get eyes on it. So it's, it's kind of like that in the, you know, Amanda Palmer says the art of asking, you know, yeah. if you ask, at least then you get an answer, you know, and it could lead to a bunch of stuff. And like, who knew it was going to turn into? Well, I mean, the, the thing was, I, I did. I always knew that I was going to write this book. I didn't know exactly how it was going to look. And I, I was calling it for a long time beauty hunting. And I mm-hmm. actually had another agent. And I had another agent yeah. and she found me because she read my blogs I wrote on a website called Mind Body Green and Positively Positive. And um and it but it's the same story, the same typical I she found me and she said, you know, I've read a lot of your blogs. I think you should put a book together. And I said, I totally want to, and I've been thinking about it. Great. And I kinda like wanted her to tell me what it was, wanted her to do the work. And so I ended up firing her when Adrian found me and it, and it wasn't that first agent's fault. It was purely mine. It was, it was timing. It was, um, you know, I, I didn't do the work and I waited for her and she didn't have the time or the inclination. And, um, it just wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't meant to be. And so, uh, finally, yeah. and I didn't know what the book exactly was. And finally, Adrian helped me find the focus, you know, and I, but it wasn't until I wrote a book proposal, um, and I sold the book on proposal. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, I talk about it in the book a lot, but patterns are hard to change. And, and I have these, some hardwired patterns, which is one of the reasons that I, you know, did come on the scene late, even though I don't really believe in time and age and in, in the traditional sense. But, um, I've just spent so much of my time talking about doing something rather than doing it, which is why my big thing is now what, now what, <laughs> because otherwise I just get trapped in talking about it and like yeah. waiting around for, you know, the universe or a person to, um, rescue me or save me. And it, it just doesn't work like that. No. And I think, I think that's a good message too, because we can get hardwired in those patterns, like you said. And then, you know, once you actually sit down and do the work, it's pretty powerful how it all. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and yet, and yet the hardwiring, it's, it's powerful. So that's why, you know, I always talk about, well, every day you wake up and you, you know, you say, now what? And you, and you go, okay, well, Maybe, maybe yesterday I let go of my pattern of whatever it may be. And, but here it is back again. So it's like every single day, um, it's work. It's never like, well, I've arrived. Now I'm, now I'm mm-hmm. a changed person. I've also found, I found friends and a group of people and a team who support me. So the things that I suck at, which I do, I suck at a lot and I'm good at a lot. The things I suck at, they can support me. In. And that is key. I think finding your people. Mm-hmm. So you kind of build that with your, with your people where you feel comfortable and comfortable enough where you can call each other. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, you know, finding, finding people who are good at what you're not. So when I know I like, for example, I know that I get really overwhelmed with the idea of, of outlines and proposals and this kind of thing. So I need someone to help me with that. Um, even if I don't really, I tell myself I do, <laughs> um, with organizing, with, um, whatever, whatever it may be, certain things that I am really, I know what I'm good at. I'm good at being in the room with people. So the other stuff, then I find help. My mom helps me, you know, with organizational stuff. So on a logistic level too, it's, it's easier to get stuff done and out into the world if you can identify, well, hey, I'm not that great at this, but let me ask for help and see if someone can help me with this. How long did it take for you to put together? The book proposal proposal? took a couple months, I think, maybe the summer. Um, yeah, maybe three months. I'm again, I'm terrible with time. It was like seven years and I'll be like three months. Um, but I believe I want to (laughs) say, yeah, a couple, couple months to three months, maybe. And then, um, it sold pretty quick. It went out like, um, right after Labor Day. 2017 and it sold a few weeks later, maybe. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. To my dream editor. So and I'm, I could not be more, it's just perfect. It's all women. And my editor and I have become really close friends. I mean, all of them, my publicist, at the, you know, in-house and, um, marketing person and my agent. And it's just great. It's just yeah. all these badasses. 
Yeah, it's really cool when you get to have your choice of editor, like you get to work with your dream team, essentially, right? And it it makes it so much easier to do the writing work when you have to just... Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's it's terrifying. To, I mean, no matter how you look at it, for me, it was terrifying. But when you sell it on proposal, it's like, oh, shit, now I got to actually write it. Ah. So it's just like, it just, it dawned on me after yeah. I saw the one in the middle of the night, I woke up with a panic attack. It's like, oh my gosh, now I really have to write it. Now I can't just like, you know, post on Facebook, <laughs> I'm writing a book, which I have been doing for a decade. Um, Just saying, you know, in that vague yeah. way that I was. And did you, you know, when you're crafting the proposal, did adrian sort of do like the shell of it and have you fill stuff in and then well to her and she she actually did for the girl power one she was genius and because i had no clue what i was doing i still don't like if you asked me to write a proposal now again i would probably be like i have to hire someone because i have no idea and i would look at the other the one that i sold and but so she helped with the girl power one and then the truth is with this one, I kept saying, I have to do a proposal, I have to do a proposal. And finally she said, Jen, you've been saying this for so long. I think you need to hire someone. She said, I don't have the time to help you. Like I did with, you know, two years ago with the girl power one. And so, um, I, this, this mm-hmm. writer who just had a book came out named Eva Hagberg Fisher, um, helped me with the proposal and really did a great job. She wrote a book called how to be loved. And, and we sold it. So I, that is my confession is I really need help with that kind of stuff. And it's, it's funny because ever, even when I was young, you know, like a, a child, I mean, um, I would get anxiety at even the word outline or, and math, both those things like panic attacks. Yes. And it's, it's almost like I just sit there. I just start with this bullshit story of, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll just sit there and say that five hours and get nothing done. So if I have someone, if I pay someone, I know, and yeah, just help me streamline it. And um, yeah, by far the proposal was the hardest part to me and also figuring out the structure. Mm -hmm. And then once you, once the book was sold, how long did it take you to write? Not long, really. Maybe, um, Nine months or, yeah, eight months, six. Mm-hmm. And then took about a year you, total from the time I sold it to the time did that. it was, you know, locked. Yeah. And then did you have any points where you wanted to? Oh, yeah, all the like, time. Do and, and by the way, for or, anyone listening, I have profound yeah. hearing loss. That's why sometimes I pause because I'm trying to interpret in my brain what Crystal is saying just through like context. Um, yeah, a lot of times and like my father-in-law, my husband is very, very close with his parents. My father-in-law got, um, you know, first of all, I had a toddler. My father-in-law came down with uh, pancreatic cancer. My husband left for a month to go to London and my father-in-law died a very painful death very quickly. All this stuff happened. I, you know, we're in this one bedroom apartment. I was trying to deal mm. with like, you know, writing in my room. It was just, um, I, I convinced myself I couldn't do it, but I knew I had to, I knew I had no choice. It, it, there was never a point where I was like, I'm going to give them money back and 
Um, I knew at, at the end of the day, I knew I'd get it done. But yeah, I, I told myself that all the time. I can't write. I suck. They made a mistake. I can't do this. I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I think. Exactly. I think a lot of writers go through that. I had a friend last week that was going through that. And I'm like, trust me, I don't think I've interviewed one single person that was like, my book was perfect from beginning to end. I loved it. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to let the work go and just done as better. Yeah, than I mean, I, nobody, and, and, you know, I have some friends that are like really famous, brilliant writers and, and they look at a book and they're like, ah, oh, could have done that different, should have done that different. And it's always going to be that way. So, um, never, there's never, uh, something that you feel is perfect. So, and I'm not a perfectionist to my, much to my chagrin. I wish it was a bit more of one. You know, I'm famous for just like putting shit out there with typos. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm like, eh, it's done. Put it, it's published <laughs> it. It's done. But, um, if, you know, of course, when I was re- doing the audio book a couple weeks ago, I caught a bunch of mistakes and, you know, it was too late. <laughs> and and hopefully no one else will notice them. I mean, I'm, I didn't lose sleep over it, <laughs> but um, yep. And and the woman who was yeah. directing the session, she said this every time a writer reads their book, it always finds mistakes. So you're not special in that, but nothing's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it happens. No, and it, it's that's not real life to have it perfect all the time. Like I have a lot more appreciation for people's feeling behind a post rather than their grammar, yeah. their punctuation, whatever, you know, and we, we get so paranoid about this stuff, but sometimes you just have to put it out there and people will resonate. And the ones that are picking apart grammar. Oh yeah. Have too much time on their hands. For sure. Someone, <laughs> I, I, I had um, a post on, on Instagram the other day. So I have a spot left for my friends retreat, which is really weird. Never happens, you know, this close, but I do. So I was running an ad and um, somebody commented, I think it was a woman. Somebody commented, like, I said something like, you don't need um, writing experience or yoga experience, but there is lots of both. And she commented, so glad you don't need um, experience since there is lots of both. Ha <laughs> ha. And I, oh no, she wrote, she wrote, what the fuck? And I, and I wrote back like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like oh. what, what? And then it took me so long. So then she spelled it out. She goes, "There is lots," and I realized it should say, "There, there are lots." And I couldn't go back and edit it because once you've like sponsored a post or run an ad, you can't change it. Yeah. And so I was like, "Whatever." And then I just wrote back, "Yeah, I'm an asshole." Mm-hmm. But um, it, whatever, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for, well, thanks mean, for the she, PSA. I guess pointing I'll out the irony. Sure I was like, you know, you're writing experience, obviously, because look, I can't write. But um, yeah, nothing will ever be perfect. But that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of the retreats, though, I think, because I've been on two and you just show up as you are. And there's people that are pro yogis. There are people that have never done yoga. There are people that are serious writers. There are people that are just like, hey, I thought I'd give this a try. And everybody, I'm always blown away by the stuff people read. Like people get up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is the, like so beautiful and so vulnerable. And it's, 
it's amazing every time because it's so different. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, it really, that's what I'm being human is. That's, that's, I would never, it's not like I'm being perfect. <laughs> I'm being a published author. Nope. That's not my mm-hmm. jam. So, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's yeah. so liberating too, to, I mean, of course we all have days I'm guessing where we, you know, get frustrated with ourselves or, or have bad days, but it's so liberating to just be like, Hey, you know what? This is who I am. Take it or leave it. And I accept you as you are. And I see you. When you chose, you made a decision and decided against hiring an outside publicist. My wallet made that decision, Crystal. Let's be clear. Um, (laughs) I mean, yes, (laughs) I did. I just didn't have the money. So it wasn't like, Oh, but I think that's really realistic because a lot of people don't realize how it works in terms of advances. And some people, you know, they don't get a big advance. They don't live a lifestyle where they can put all that money aside and hire an outside publicist. So I really feel like the street team is this awesome idea. And everybody in this group. Is it is. I, I, the I would like to utilize it it's more. Like having, I mean, I, I've been kind of you know, quiet in the last little while because I don't want people to be for the last you know, it'll be a total of nine months. Just like, get me out of here. But um, right now there's there's a month left. You know? <laughs> no. So right now things will kick into high gear and just figuring out, you know, strategically yeah. the best way to utilize these 500 people that are willing to help. It's it's amazing. And it's 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 really is a testament to how I live my life, yeah. I think, of the how may I serve and, and, you know, believing that there's enough because I didn't force any of these people to be in this group. No, it was totally voluntary. Yep. Like you just threw it out there. You put up a post and said, Hey, if you want to help me promote the book, I'm not hiring a publicist. And you know, everybody showed up and it was awesome because even like you did the cover reveal, people shared that out. So if you have 500 people in a group sharing that image and sharing the pre-order link, yeah, it's a huge. No, I'm really, really grateful. I'm. And I'm happy with the decision. Every once in a while, I think, oh, I wonder if I should have hired a publicist, figure out a way. But it's it's perfect. And I'm working on trust and not not just, you know, sitting back and, and not doing anything because that that would be silly, especially, you know, um, I have some goals surrounding the book. You know, like I really want to do more public speaking mm-hmm. gigs, which I'm really good at. And so I think having a book in the world will yeah. Allow me to charge more to, to be able, and to be able to get more gigs, you know? But, um, so I'm not just like sitting back and, mm-hmm. and like going, well, whatever happens, happens. But to a degree, I am, you know? Um, because that's all you can do. I mean, you can ask, you can go, Hey guys, will you share this? Will you pre-order? And, um, you can try to write things, you know, to go up simultaneously when the book is coming out and, um, I'm doing my workshops, but like, at some point, it's like, you can't do anymore. I mean, you have readings coming up. You have stuff planned for different bookstore stops. And, you know, and it's also like working with your author friends and other writers to read with them at events. Like, all those yeah. little things add up and help. Yeah, and that's why I'm talking to you from my bed right now, just because I have so yeah. much coming up that I'm, like, trying to, like, like a, <laughs> you know, squirrel holding the nut yeah. for winter or whatever. It's, whatever the metaphor is i mean i already have like 
in two weeks, three weeks, I go to mm -hmm. France and London and I get back. And then in the fall, I go back to Europe. And in between all of that, it's book stuff and workshops. And it's, um, it's surreal. If I think about it, I, I'll panic. So I, I try to just kind of, I'm just here in my bed right now. <laughs> Be here now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you, the book has some really beautiful blurbs and this wonderful foreword written by Lydia Yuknovich. Was it difficult to ask for blurbs? Good question. How did you go about that? With Lydia, it wasn't difficult because she's my wifey. She is my, my everything. And so it mm -hmm. was like, duh, no brainer. She would, you know, she would do anything for me and I would do anything for her. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, um, like sometimes it was awkward. Like I, ugh, Cheryl, I'm so, Cheryl's a good friend of mine, Cheryl Strait, and I hated bugging her because I know she took time off burbing and then all of a sudden I could see everyone was asking her. But, um, but I did it and, mm. um, I'm trying to think who else. And, that, you know, I just did it. I was like, you know what? With Glenn and Doyle, I just said, fuck it. I'm going to ask her. And she wrote back, of course. And Samantha Irby is my friend. Yeah. So I asked her and hers is hilarious. Oh, hers is hilarious. I love her. Oh, Andrew Solomon, um, <laughs> a really good friend of mine is best friend with him. And so, and she really believes in me. And that happened like that, which was so kind and amazing and mind blowing. I was not expecting at all. Andrew Solomon. And mm -hmm. I, I talk about him in the book. So, yeah. um, trying to think. Oh, Pat Noswell. Yeah. Pat Noswell was my regular That's at the really newsroom cool. where we waited tables for a million years. And I asked him a long time ago and he was like, gladly. And I can't remember who else. Um, oh, pink, <laughs> pink yeah. followed me. Pink followed me on Instagram. Yeah, so I followed her back. And, um, and then, you know, she was like, I've been following you for a while. You're rad. And, and we became friends. And so, um, none of them were really hard to ask for. I think, although, um, if anyone had said no, then it feels hard. Like the email I mentioned, I got an email from someone who has like a bazillion Twitter followers and I asked him to share it. And, and I, um, he wrote back, like, I'm really overwhelmed and busy right now. And I just felt like so embarrassed. And why did I do that? And, um, but of course, when you get yeses, it's like, no, it's not hard. To ask. <laughs> and did you, did you include blurbs or anything with your book proposal or did you do I that? Think. I, I did say, I didn't have the forward by Lydia, but I did say Lydia would write the forward. And then you, if I can remember, because apparently I don't remember anything, but mm -hmm. if I can remember, you have to put in like who you think and you know it's all sort of like at least for mine it was like projection who you think might um promote it for you or do a blurb and i think i might have put cheryl just like crossing my fingers and hoping that if it sold she would um but i didn't have any act like concrete ones because <laughs> i hadn't written the book yet you know but i did have like you no know, they yeah. want names they want like you know, who yeah, because, you connect to, what celebrities do you know, because all that stuff, and it makes sense because all that stuff helps yeah. sell books. And at the end of the day, that's what publishers want. Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. And, and now they're kind of asking for blurbs before the book is, right. is even sold. You know, a lot of proposals are including 
free blurbs. So it's like, how do you ask for a blurb when they haven't even read it yet? <laughs> or you only have a couple chapters written because some people like I have a full manuscript to go with the proposal, but most people only have like two chapters, like your sample chapters. So it's really hard to ask but you to review. Them it is, but I've gotten, I've done a bunch of that for people now, you know, people will, um, like my friend Erin Carr wrote a book and uh, it's coming out next year. And I gave her a blurb. I just read like a, a two chapters. Mm-hmm. It's more like a, yes. Um, like a testimonial of the person, you know, I mean, even Eva Hagberg Fisher, who, who helped yeah. me with the proposal. Um, I gave her a blurb before I read her. I just read a little bit. Um, and it was like a, again, like a just sort of a testimonial. And I think it's just because, Oh, I don't know. Publishing. I'm not going to ever pretend to understand it, but I guess it just gives people that are going to buy it an idea of like, Oh, this might be able to move books, you know, this concept that you talk about in the workshops and in the book. And it's that we all have this inner asshole, which resonates the moment you read about it in the book, because we all have one. And that's sort of the beauty of this memoir, because it's so relatable and real. And you share this rawness about how much we beat ourselves up and can start listening to that inner asshole. So did you, did your inner asshole surface during Girl, my inner asshole surfaces every day. I mean, what? Like every day. Right now, today, I haven't put enough clothes yet. I'm still in bed, and you know my inner asshole's raging. I need, you know, so every day I have to quiet it down. That's why I talk about it so much. It's definitely, I'm not like, yes, I've slayed the inner asshole dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, completely every day, and it is, it is hard promoting <laughs> yourself, and you feel like a douche. Yeah. And I mean, I'm good at it because I'm clear that like no one else is gonna do it, so I gotta do it. Um. But yes, I do have a straight team and I do have wonderful friends. And, and so that's not exactly mm-hmm. true that no one else will do it. But you still yourself have to get the ball rolling. You still have to promote yourself. It's um, it's naive to think any any otherwise. Um, but it, 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 it can feel uncomfortable because you're like, oh, man, I'm like bombarding people. They're going to be so sick of me and this and that. And. When I say that, I just remember that quote that I love, which is, it's worse than you think. They're not thinking about you at all. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I mean, my mind will go there if something I think, oh my gosh, they're mad at me. Or maybe I like didn't say enough or do enough. And we come up with all these scenarios and then the person's like, Oh my God, I had a shit day. I got a flat. Day. Yeah. This happened. That I know. Happened. I mean, I, I had I nothing to do that with you. All the, time. <laughs> all the time. We, we get so in our head about things and make up stories. And I, I really work hard not to do that. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take mm-hmm. everything at face value. And if someone has something to say, they'll communicate it with me and I'm not going to read into a text and put a tone yeah. into it or, or lack of one or, if I ask them a question and they just write back yes or no, I'm like, wow, are they mad at me? And like, no, they just answered the question, but because there's n- nothing to soften mm-hmm. it, you know, like, a, so it's so stupid. I know. I, I'm the same way. <laughs> I know. And I felt bad today because you were texting me and I was driving and then I got to my appointment and I was trying not to be rude to my friend yeah. who was doing my hair. And I'm like, Sounds great. Oh, I don't, I don't care. About <laughs> I didn't have time to do emojis I'm and pretty, stuff. And I'm I'm like, I hope she doesn't think good I'm just at like that at not, you know, <laughs> reading into it. 
<laughs> you also, you kind of also talked about the whole you get to change your mind philosophy. And I really like that because I feel like there's sort of this perpetuated myth that you only get to pick one career, one path, and you have to stick to that for the rest of your life, especially in small towns like where I live. You know, they get the same job, they marry, they have the two kids, they live, you know, in a mom's exactly. home and you just go to work until you die. <laughs> like, the idea that you can't change your mind is so fear-based and it's so tied up in, in myths that were, that are perpetuated about age and about women. Um, but we do get to change our mind. Um, and then but then it becomes about, well, okay, you change your mind, but then what are you going to do about it? So, or you could like, for example, when I was waitressing and I was so depressed and mm -hmm. so miserable for so many years, I just said, I hate this. I hate my life. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. Years. And there was never any, well, but what do I want? What do I want to do? And until I started asking that, so I really hadn't changed my mind. I was just complaining. So, okay, I'm going to change my mind, but now what? <laughs> so um, it's changing your mind and then taking action. But it's just mm -hmm. remembering that there's no uh, rule book. Like, you, could, any age, you could do anything you damn well please. I mean, to a point, obviously. But I, I shared a post the other day, yesterday, I think, this woman in, yeah. I can't remember where, it might have been Korea. I think it was South Korea. And there was a school bus. These kids were like going to first grade or something. And there was a 90 year old going back to school, first grade. Oh my God, I wanted to cry. I loved it. But, um, you can change your mind about who you are, Aww. about what you want, about, about what you want your job to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's easy either. So, you know, I'm not any kind of like mm -hmm. woo bull bullshit, like just change your mind and yeah. you'll have a new job. I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. It's difficult, but once you do it and you go through all of it on the other side, it's it difficult. And sometimes it's not difficult. Better. I think it's just like, you know, it's like we never know. And that's, and that's, that's mm -hmm. life all the time. Embracing the not knowing. Sometimes we've like, you know, we walk around saying how hard it's going to be. And then we actually do mm -hmm. something like, that's actually not hard. <laughs> but we've told ourselves for so many years how hard it's going to be. <laughs> you know, a really good example is anytime I've ever stopped drinking or stopped drinking coffee or alcohol or whatever. I spend so much time leading up to it, obsessing about how I'm going to do it and how hard it's going to be. That's way harder mm -hmm. than the actual abstaining. For me, mm -hmm. the telling myself how hard it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, yeah. Yeah. It's like the mind fuck we put ourselves through when we're like psyching ourselves sure. out before we even start trying. Did you have anyone mentor you? Emily Rat Black, who's an amazing, amazing author. She wrote two books, Poster Child and. Mm the still point of the turning world. Yeah. And she's one of the most brilliant people I know. And so she helped me a lot. A lot. I'm so grateful. 
and I thank her profusely in the back of the book. And so, yeah, I definitely, I believe in mentors. I mean, Lydia, Lydia, I always think mm-hmm. of as a mentor, but I think it's great to have people who have been there, done that, or people who are more objective or whatever it is. You also have the online magazine manifestation where people can submit writing. It started because I started a blog and I had this big following on Facebook. And then I, I started just like I do with Instagram. I started thinking like, well, I have this like real estate. I might as well share it with writers. I mean, all a writer wants is to be read. So why don't I say, do you mm-hmm. want to write a guest post for this site? So people, I started opening up to people, um, guest posting and then it developed into what it is now, which is, I don't really even write blogs on it anymore. It's just a, you know, personal essay, a place for personal essays for other writers once in a while I will, but, um, yeah, it's great. I just, I've just been behind with everything. Mm-hmm. And so I've, uh, I need, I really need to catch up on it because it's, it's such a beautiful place on the internet, little safe haven corner of gorgeous words. There's so many beautiful essays on there, you know, and you have the Alexander Fund that's also there. Um, so people can donate to the Alexander Fund if they want to help sponsor a mother who has lost their child. Yeah. To be I mean, able to go and yet another retreats. thing in my overwhelming list of things that need to be done, I need to turn that into a nonprofit. But yeah, um, if a woman who's lost a child, I mean, I've, I've had um, other types of losses. It's generally it's charted. For a woman who's lost a child, I I did have a woman um, last fall come to Italy who whose husband died as she was giving birth. I mean, they they induced so he could meet the baby. He was on one floor dying of cancer, and she was on another mm-hmm. floor having the baby. And she wrote me the most beautiful email, and I gave her a scholarship. But it's for a woman who's lost a child, and um, it's it's beautiful. These these people donate, and then I'm able to bring these women on retreat. And it's so deeply healing. Alexander was um, the baby who passed um, this woman, Julia Anderson, in Norway. And she came. She was the first one. My followers sent the money in and, and donated. And she came and she said, you know, I want to pay it forward. And I asked her if we could mm-hmm. use his name. So it's Alexander Fund. And it's really rewarding and beautiful and hard and sad and gorgeous and the the experience being with these women and important. And, you know, I will never look away. Yeah. And I think that's important because I think a lot of people look away when it comes to grief or they want to rush people through their grief and say, okay, like, are you done yet? Because enough time has passed. And this week gives people a, a, a real place to, to put their grief and to have it be held and to, and to also laugh. And so it's not just like, you know, a week of therapy. Um, it's a full human experience with laughter and joy and singing and wine tasting and cooking and eating and sleeping and massages and body movement and writing and, and, mm-hmm. and the absolute freedom to talk about it as much as they want. It's, it's special. It's hard because I get a lot of emails and, and I don't know how to say yes. I can't say yes to everyone. And like how to choose is very difficult. Mm. And then to constantly raise money. I mean, I otherwise I would be, yeah. you know, without a roof over my head. I exactly. still have to make some money to pay rent and whatnot. But 
um, I manage, mm-hmm. <laughs> figure it out. I always like to ask everybody before we wrap up the show, if you had the opportunity to go back in time before the book, before the workshops, before everything that is now, what advice would you give to yourself then from the person you are now? Go on antidepressants way sooner. (laughs) Or, and you know, I mean, for me, that's, that's, that's true. I'm not Mm -hmm. joking, but (laughs) another way to say that is, um, yeah. Is, is, is don't shirk on self care. You know how important that was. So I, I didn't take care of myself. So I didn't take care of my depression and my grief and my eating disorder and, and all the things. I mean, like I was in denial about my hearing loss, all of it. I didn't take care of any of it. I just kept ignoring, 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 ignoring until I had a nervous breakdown. So. You know, I, I sort of jokingly say the antidepressants, but not really, because had I go, got gone on them sooner, I would not have been so immobilized and I would not have stayed at the restaurant as long as I did. Hands down, I wouldn't have. Um, mm. The antidepressants are what allowed me to make a move in either direction. They would allow me to do um, a yoga teacher training, which led to where I am now. Um, and then, you know, and then the other thing would be, that your job is not who you are. I thought all my worth was wrapped up in how I was making my money, which was waiting tables and was in Hollywood. So I felt so irrelevant and unimportant and ugly and, you know, like invisible. So going back now, hi baby, going back now, I'm the same person. (laughs) I would remind myself that I am enough. I would tattoo that on my brain. I think that's really good advice. And I think, especially with antidepressants, you know, I don't know why we resist them for so long. It's like, I mean, I think if you have like an hour, I would tell you why for me, but you know, one of them was like the, mm -hmm. the, I was comfortable in the discomfort. And also it was like, I would have had to ask now what and actually, and actually do something about something. Do you know what I mean? I would have actually had to go take care of myself and do something. Um, and also exactly, I had really, um, ridiculous fears that I would gain weight. You know, I was, I was like suffering from an eating disorder and, Mm -hmm. you know, rumors you would hear, well, antidepressants make you gain weight. That didn't happen for me, but all the reasons, um, It'll, yeah. it'll make me dead inside. I mean, there is a bit of a deadening. I, I feel, but, but it's, it's like, I have to choose. I have that little bit of a flattening feeling or not be able to function. <laughs> so I choose that. Mm-hmm. But, um, exactly. but I, I, the theme of this whole call has been this tendency I have to not take care of things, to like let things just wait. And I think with everything, I thought, well, that'll take care of itself. And spoiler alert, nothing took care of itself. Nothing. Not one thing. Meaning like my health, mm-hmm. my missing tooth, my hearing loss, my grief. You know, nothing just magically goes away. It's just like what I talk about in my workshops. If you, if you feel something, you know, a lot of people try to like, you know, make themselves tough or put armor on and shove it back in their body. It stays there. It goes somewhere. So. 
I think I was just, I resisted yeah. because I would have had to, had to actually take action and face things and do something about it. And instead I, you know, wanted to stay a walking dead person and just complain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it gets comfortable. Like in its own way. The discomfort is comfortable. Every day. And I, no I couldn't agree more. And I'm the queen of that. And nothing in my life has scared me more. And still, and it's every day I deal with this fear, is change. Change scares me more than anything. I mean, lost my dad like that. I, such a young age, so traumatizing. I want everything to stay the same. So even if I'm miserable, and it's something that I deal with every day that I have to fight against. So that is the main reason. Thank you so much for listening to Literary Speaking. Jen Pasteloff can be found online at www.jenniferpasteloff.com. She's also available on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to check out her pages, G Power You Are Enough, as well as No Bullshit Motherhood. Her book, On Being Human, a memoir of waking up, living real, and listening hard, is available for purchase now and debuts June 4th. Please do make sure you leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads for our guest authors. And if you're enjoying the show, I'd be honored if you left a review on iTunes for us. Until next time, hand to heart, pen to paper, right on. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.